A damp, dreary day, less than a month after Christmas 2001. It's a horror. It's what it was to me, a horror. A 61-year-old man, described as a hermit by his younger sister, normally sheltered inside the country store his father built more than 60 years before. I don't believe Daddy paid but $10 for it back then. A store which, when built, was a pure white, a beacon for people living nearby, guiding them to where they could find just about anything they needed for their day-to-day. -day. The only store for miles. We had a store, and if we wanted something out of the store, we'd go in there and get it. By all accounts, a profitable business for a modest life, but with the parents dead and gone. She passed away, and then Tommy, he stayed on. He had never been married. That store and the 61-year-old son now running it began to deteriorate. The clean look both had been known for turning ragged, less upkeep, less recognizable. At 50 miles an hour on Highway 49, the faded Fogelman sign is almost unreadable. That recluse, unable to recuse himself from the danger drawing near in what would be his final year. He stayed on there and ran the store until somebody come by and did what they did to him. Below the cases of beer, ready for sale, the hanging country ham, the tabs slid into slots for what was taken but not yet bought. His body. I would call it very brutal. Left for the next person to find. No telling the evidence left behind. You know, whenever she said, you know, he's been shot or whatever, and my first thought was not, not in the head. Not knowing that he was beat to death and primarily was beat in his head. For nearly two decades to follow, the relatives who rushed to that store on that January night, a store which once provided for the others who flocked to the flashing blue lights, left without. He's buried over in a cemetery where my mom and dad's buried. Without the answer to the question, who tore down their family inside the building their patriarch had put together? He got chopped up pretty good. I'm Fox 8's Michael Hennessy, and this is a country store killing. When you look at a map of Alamance County, North Carolina, there are highways, 54, 87, Interstate 40, intersecting in a city called Graham, a larger city with a present-day population topping 50,000 called Burlington, barely to the north. I don't ever remember from wanting anything. But if you travel down another highway, a two-lane one called Highway 49, you'll arrive in a place called Snow Camp an unincorporated community with a population of less than 5,000 people in the year 2000. It's where a man named Gurney Fogelman decided to set up shop in the form of a small home and a similarly sized country store at A309 and C49 in 1940, three years after marrying his wife, Ines. But it was like this, like a pie. I don't believe daddy paid but $10 for it back then. I think is all he paid for that. But it's like an acre. Both buildings a single story, both a bright, clean white. In its heyday, the store had three gas pumps out front, cement underneath, surrounded by gravel. Easy for people to pull in and out. A walkway leading from that gravel to a small, three-pillared front porch in front of the family home. A two-story garage out back, 
that store providing for the pair, their elder son, middle daughter, and youngest son, to whom they became parents. Just do me a favor, say and spell your name, and give me your relationship to Tom. Uh, J-O-A-N-N, Fogelman, Fogelman. Mm -hmm. I married a Fogelman. <laughs> that daughter, named Joanne, as you just heard, her last name never changed, not even through marriage. Always had good Christmases, Thanksgiving. Her older brother was given the name James Thomas, better known as Tom, affectionately called by his younger sister, Tommy. We went places. Daddy used to carry us and Mama go on vacations, and he'd carry us to different places. The youngest, named Johnny Wade, who too became known by his middle name, Wade. But the hockey business, he loved that hockey. Tom, Joanne, and Wade grew up here along this remote yet busy highway, Gurney selling much of what the people of Snow Camp needed right there in their family store. That's our home. That's where we started out. And it wasn't exactly like that when we started out. Because the store wasn't that big, nor the house either one. The front bearing a sign, Fogelman's store. Black letters easily read against the bright white background. Gurney often allowing people to take what they needed, even if they didn't have the means to pay. He'd simply start a tab and put it in a slot. And having one's name at the top was nothing to be ashamed of. It was ordinary. There were still old debts there when we cleaned the store out when, before it was sold. And there were still old debts there that had been there since back years and years, way before my dad died. Gurney died in 1977. Cancer. Inez kept running the store with Tom's help. She kept it looking much the same, tidy. After uh, Mom got to where she couldn't do, they began their work. But about 20 years later, she too passed on. And then Tommy, he stayed on. He had never been married. He stayed on there and ran the store. They'd been close. Tom was never quite the same. The paint on the store, once pristine, began to peel, splintering, shavings falling to the floor. But in 2002, the sense of safety, security, surety the family had known since their country store first opened its doors, disintegrated. I said, come here. I said, uh, Johnny called and we need to go to the store. I said, uh, something, he said, something is wrong down there. It was January 23rd. The high temperature was 51 degrees, the low 39. Both above normal for this area of North Carolina at that time of year, there was plenty of rain, about one and a quarter inches. A large puddle had formed in the run-down gravel lot out in front of the store, a lot where two would-be customers had pulled in shortly after the sun set that night. I got to that hill and seen all that lights and stuff down there. I knew it had been something bad. The original incident report filed by an Alamance County Sheriff's Sergeant named Brian Allen. Says he was dispatched to the Fulgeman's store at 1839 hours. When he got there, he says the front door was open, but the scene door, safe to assume he meant screen door, was shut to the business. He says he entered, got about 10 feet inside. At the end of the counter, he says he found an older white man lying on his back in a large pool of blood. This suspect had apparently suffered severe trauma to his face and head. The sergeant said at the time, unknown if the subject was shot or bludgeoned. It was apparent that subject was deceased. 
Uh, the sergeant documented searching the rest of the store for either suspects or possible other victims. Neither were found. EMS got there, checked the victim for signs of life. The sergeant found the woman who'd called it in. And she told him that around 5 o'clock, she and her friend had gone there to buy some beer. Uh, the caller said the victim was fine and alone at the time. Uh, 45 minutes later, she told the sergeant the two went back to the store to buy cigarettes. Uh, the friend went inside but didn't see the victim anywhere. She went outside to get the caller, who then went inside and saw the victim lying on the floor before exiting the store and going to a neighbor's house to call for help. Shortly after that interview, another neighbor who lived just across the street told the investigators that around 5.30, she'd noticed there was a small red pickup truck and another unknown vehicle sitting in the store parking lot. She told them about 15 minutes later she saw the pickup leaving the store at a high rate of speed, heading in the direction of Burlington on Highway 49, but she couldn't give them a description of who was inside either vehicle. Uh, the incident report closes by saying the victim in this matter was identified as James Thomas Fogelman, white male, date of birth May 9, 1940, his address listed as 8309 NC49 South. It didn't take long for Joanne, husband Fred, and daughter Jennifer to find out. At that point, it was dark, and mm -hmm. you could actually see all the blue lights. It was even before you got there. It kind of like lit the it's sky. Like a stadium lit up. I mean, <clears throat> lights and flashing lights, and uh, yeah, it was a horror. That's what it was to me—a horror. As the family started getting there, deputies had already taped off the store. There were several older cars along the side of the building between it and the house. The crime scene tape draped over them, reading Sheriff's Line, Do Not Cross, swirling in the wind. And deputies had parked a Ford Crown Victoria out front. They were in reflective vests, stopping and directing traffic as detectives were making their way in and out. And Wade was already there when Joanne pulled up. They had this crime scene tape up, and Wade, he walks up to me, and he told me that somebody had, he thought, I believe, shot Tom. And I told, first thing I told him, I said, you old devil, you, should have been you. While going inside the tape is normally reserved for investigators in the hours after a murder, Joanne's husband, Fred, says he was allowed in the store before Tom's body was removed. He got chopped up pretty good. Yeah, they, that's what they said. Yeah. So you you went in there and you actually saw him? Yeah. <clears throat> what did it look like in there? What did he look like? He looked almost at all the blood mess that was coming out of him. Other than that, other than that, he was pretty normal. Had a big cut. A small, older-style 3x4 colored television was still left on whatever Tom had been watching and was visible from the outside. Our Fox 8 cameras preserving what the inside of the store looked like. Two liters out for display, two windows, the front door, then another two windows, one of them boarded up out front. Uh, detectives seen carrying out boxes of evidence as the family started asking the questions they're still asking here, nearly 20 years later. I didn't think nobody would have ever done that to him. Uh, and I, I don't know why they did it to him. I don't know if it was over money. I don't know if it's over argument. I don't know what the problem was. All I know is they did it. That's it. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to know, but may never know. 
we moved out here in 78. Limley Jackson still lives in the home directly across the street from what was the Fogelman store. There's always vehicles in and out, in and out. Tires squealing, a lot of them would take off real fast. The tires would be squealing on the pavement. He worked in grocery stores, so didn't shop there, but still knew Tom. I have been over there, talked to Tom a few times, but uh, we didn't buy groceries. I didn't drink beer or anything like that, so I had no reason to go over there other than just to go talk to Tom. When we first drove out to the area and present day and knocked on his door, he said he didn't remember that night very well, but it soon became apparent he did. There was always cars in and out, in and out, and it wouldn't be anything that would really get my attention if there was a car there. Just like everyone else who was living in that area in January 2002. His memory starts with heading to church with his wife. We had only been at church about, I guess, 15 to 20 minutes, and the preacher came in and announced to us that Tom Fogelman had been killed. His thoughts immediately went to his adult daughter, who hadn't gone with her parents to church and was still in the home they lived in for 24 years leading up to that night. It's pretty frightening when you think about it, and happening right on your doorstep, you might say. What's it like for you as a father and having your wife with you to be in church and have the pastor come out and say somebody's been killed right across the street from where your daughter is. What is that level of anxiety like as a father to try to get the few miles back down the oh, road? Yeah, that that was very frightening because as soon as the preacher said that, I stood up, I said, I gotta go, my daughter's at home. And so me and my wife left and come back home because I didn't want to, I didn't know what was going on over here. All I heard from the preacher was he had been killed, and I didn't know if there was somebody still in the neighborhood that they were looking for, or was a person gone, or anything like that, you know. So, I, yeah, I was on pins and needles, you might say, until I got back home to make sure my daughter was safe. Deputies interviewed Limley, too, but as he said a couple minutes ago, he was used to people being in and out of the building across the street. We didn't see anything that would be suspicious to us. My wife said she thought there was a blue pickup truck in front of the store when we pulled out of the driveway. And although he didn't hang out with his neighbor for what he considered flaws. Tom was a, a good person to talk to. Uh, but he also uh, used a lot of bad language, which me being a Christian, I didn't spend that much time with him because of his bad language. But outside of that, uh, Tom was a, seemed like a quiet man that would get along with most people. He does remember one thing that just about everybody else remembers about Tom too something that could have attracted someone to Tom, and not in a good way. Tom had one bad habit, and that was he kept money in his shirt pocket. I don't know why he done that, but if you bought something and, you, and he made change to, he stuck the money in his pocket, shirt pocket, or he'd take money out of his shirt pocket to make change. And that's not a good idea, in my opinion, to carry money in his shirt pocket. You know, people are going to see you sticking it in there like that. 
but peek inside and you look into Tom Fogelman's life, a life that doesn't seem quite over. The TV is still on the station he was watching when someone came into his store just after six Wednesday night. Our cameras were back at the store not even 24 hours after deputies were first called there. Bob Buckley, now Fox 8's senior reporter, told what he saw there in the light of day. But Thursday's paper just outside the door assures you Fogelman is gone. The newspaper stand had been refilled with the latest edition of a newspaper called The Times News. The headline read, Store owner found dead. Deputies believe killing might have begun as robbery. Bob interviewing Tom's nephew, John Fogelman, for that same news story. You never would think something, you know, murder would, would happen in your own family like that, especially to a man that was, that was good to people and kind and uh, never harsh to anybody. But if anyone seemed to sense trouble, it was Fogelman's own family. As they came to clean up his home, they reflected on the trouble they've seen here over the years. They broke in here so many times they broke the doors down, knocked that window out right there. It's just uh, crazy, you know, the people ought to do something about this. And uh, now with the death and the family, it's just, uh, it's just, it's just really hurts. As Limley remembers, rumors started to swirl around the small community about how brutal of a beating Tom took that night. Apparently he died instantly because they crushed his skull up, I understand. If you hit somebody in the head with a hammer that many times, it's really gonna do a lot of damage. And uh, I understand that one eyeball came out. So why somebody would beat him so many times, uh, you know, it's hard to understand that. Uh, most time, if you hit a man with a hammer in the head, you're gonna kill him the first time. Uh, if you hit him hard enough, this, as Joanne recalls, having to wait days for an autopsy to be done before she could bury her brother. It was uh, three or four days, maybe five days, before we got him buried. He's buried over in a cemetery where my mom and dad's buried. That autopsy, coming back saying Tom had been hit 27 times in the head with a blunt object, contributing to our continued coverage with Fox 8 anchor reporter Shannon Smith 10 months later. Detectives say Mr. Fogelman always kept money in his shirt pocket, but that money was missing along with several cartons of cigarettes. So they believe robbery was the motive for the murder. Uh, it's a horrible crime. It's not your average um, uh, robbery and, and murder. This, this person uh, died a violent death. That newscast is where we hear from Joanne for the first time. And we got some good guys working on it, and, and they stay in touch and are trying to, take, to get it soft. It's just something that I haven't been able to handle. And younger brother Wade, both inside the store where at that point the lights were rarely turned on. Brutal. Uh, the way they done it, uh, it, it makes me bitter. There wasn't, no, wasn't no sense in that. Yeah, I think about him every day, you know. Uh, I wish I knew who done it. Seems almost like it was last week today. Because yeah. the day was, is uh, almost identical to the day he got killed. It's a day four years ago Fred Fogelman will never forget. A cold January rainy evening when someone beat his brother-in-law, Tom Fogelman, to death 27 times with a hammer inside a snow camp store. Four years after the murder, our anchor reporter Chad Tucker talked to Fred, where we hear about a suspected murder weapon. 
The case is now in Alamance County's Cold Case Division, where few tips ever come in on the case. Investigators, though, are still waiting for DNA evidence found on the murder weapon to be cross-referenced with 37 to 40,000 DNA samples from convicted felons just sitting in the basement of the state crime lab. There's just not enough labs and staff to cross-reference the thousands of pieces of evidence that come in each year. Just like today, just exactly. Let's just like it. While every day, the Fulgerman family waits for answers. Answers many in the small community want to know. All the time, they asked them wanting to know if we found out anything. Nothing. Another year passed, and a former Fox 8 reporter finds herself talking to Fred once more. But they beat, beat, and beat, and beat, yeah. and beat. He was probably done dead, and they were still beating. It was like a hate crime. Autopsy reports show Tom Fogelman was hit more than 27 times in the head with a blunt object. The narrative of robbery and DNA on a murder weapon continues. Fogelman's family says he was a quiet man who didn't have any enemies or a lot of money. The why part is the part that don't make any sense. Investigators say Fogelman was murdered for cold, hard cash. Two customers found him dead inside his grocery store off Highway 49 on January 23, 2002. The cash register was open and empty. There have been suspects all along. Leads made headlines in the local papers, but no arrests. Well, it's frustrating for us and it's certainly frustrating for the family. The tips have stopped pouring in, but there is timeless evidence, DNA. And we have compared over 40 individuals to that DNA sample, um, and none of that has panned out yet as well. The DNA has been entered into the national database, so it's constantly being compared, not just in North Carolina, but the whole country. So far, no hits. But just because it was The case largely left on an evidence locker shelf until February 2021. So, if I may, this is the interview with Joanne Kogelman, and may I get your name in? It's Jennifer Phelps. A new press release coming into our Fox 8 inbox, reading, Alamance County Sheriff's Office requests assistance with unsolved homicide, followed by a brief description of everything we just talked about, and detectives are asking anyone with information regarding the homicide of Mr. Fulgerman to contact the Alamance County Sheriff's Office. My name is Barbara Tommy. It's B-A-R-B-A-R-A-T-O-M-E-Y, and I'm a detective for Alamance County Sheriff's Office. Perfect. So when did you get assigned to the Fogelman case? Um, approximately three weeks ago. A new detective, a fresh set of eyes with no preformed opinions. Can't tell you why it was believed at the time that that was a weapon of choice. Perhaps a last chance for this family to find out what happened to Tom. So when you start from the very beginning, anybody and everybody is always possible. Just because he used bad language don't mean that he was a bad person, a mean person. A lot of people knew of Tom, but mostly through their brief interactions at the store. Everybody liked Tom. He'd give you a shirt off his back, he'd help you out. Few knew him as a child. As he grew up, what made him tick, what made him sick. He had uh, asthma and he had eczema. 
and they carried him all different doctors trying to get something for it and he's always a neat freak. We talk more in depth with those who knew him best next time on A Country Store Killer. If you like the podcast, please subscribe to it, comment on it, and spread the word to help us as we try to get this family the answers they've been seeking for nearly two decades. A Country Store Killing is written by me, Michael Hennessy, edited by photojournalist Chris Weaver, and our executive producer is Kevin Daniels. <laughs>